And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. Welcome back to the Force 5 Podcast. I am your host, Jason Kleberg, and if this is your first time, Force 5 is the show that forces a guest to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we talk about our picks on air. This week, my guest is Zeke Cam, a screenwriter and producer whose newest film, The Last Blockbuster, is sitting on the Netflix top ten as I record this. The list topic Zeke chose is five movies that would make awesome TV shows. And we both took very different approaches to our topics. But before we get to Zeke, let's go over what I've seen this past week. First up this week is 1989's Black Rain. A New York City cop. On the trail of a killer. From the back alleys of Manhattan. Our victims are certainly Yakuza. To the streets of Japan. Because of your negligence, a man we've wanted for a long time has been lost. Come on, we'll take some of the heat for this, but we're not taking the rap. Rap. You see, there's a war going on here between Sato and an old-time boss named Sugai. And they don't take prisoners. So where's your boss? New York City cops, Nick played by Michael Douglas, and Charlie, played by Andy Garcia, find themselves in international hot waters when Sato, the Yakuza soldier they're escorting back to Japan, escapes. They partner with a Japanese inspector named Masahiro in order to track down the prisoner, battling language barriers, red tape, and of course, the Yakuza. I turned on HBO Max the other day and saw the cover for Black Rain, one that I had seen staring at me in the halls of blockbuster videos many moons ago. Michael Douglas on the cover, sitting upon his iron steed, sunglasses on. It had always intrigued me, but for some reason I'd never got around to watching it or picking it up. I turned it on knowing nothing about the movie aside from what I had seen on the cover, and imagine my surprise when the opening credits rolled and I found out that it was directed by Ridley Scott, scored by Hans Zimmer, and lensed by master Jan de Bont. The film looks great, which obviously you'd expect from a pedigree of both Scott and DeBont. Both New York and Japan, which we spend time in, get a chance to shine. The locations never look flashy, and it doesn't feel produced. It just feels like the real streets of whichever country the characters were in. This is something that I really appreciated. The story was lacking, and felt like a tale that I've seen many times before. Michael Douglas plays this rugged badass, which I wasn't used to seeing. I associate him with more of a suit and tie persona, growing up seeing him in things like Wall Street, Fatal Attraction, and even Traffic. But his character worked. Unfortunately, it was extremely difficult to feel sympathetic for Nick, seeing as his character doesn't seem to grow much, and watching this in 2021, his arc kind of feels like white man comes to a foreign land to show them how to do things better. Andy Garcia as Charlie was a much more interesting character, the yin to Nick's yang. He's upbeat and cheerful, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. The dynamic between the two was nice, even if we did have to endure both of them calling each other babe every other sentence. Was this just a thing in late 80s New York, babe? What do you think, babe? The theme of New York cop versus Japanese inspector is a big part of the film as Nick and Masahiro butt heads and then try to merge their styles to work together. 
It was interesting watching the hard-boiled, break-all-the-rules Nick do his best to toe the line in a foreign land while Masahiro tried playing things straight but couldn't help some of Nick's methods rubbing off on him. Because of this, however, when things go bad for the cops, you can't help but think, yeah, you kind of deserve that. A sequence in which a character loses their life to a gang of bikers is a prime example and could have been written in a way that would have felt way more organic and more heartbreaking, but instead leaves you shaking your head and wondering what any character in the scene actually had planned, cop or criminal. Speaking of criminals, the actor who played Sato, Yusaku Matsuda, gives a really great performance as the main villain. I instantly went to IMDb when the film was over to find out what he'd been in since Black Rain, and unfortunately this was his last movie. He died of bladder cancer at the young age of 40 years old, which is just such a shame. The action in this film is pretty standard stuff until the finale, which gives us a nice big action set piece at a large estate in the Japanese countryside. It's full of bodies being riddled with bullets, explosions, and has an ending that will definitely subvert your expectations. To summarize it all up, the story in Black Rain isn't great, Michael Douglas's Nick is a walking late 80s cop cliche, and the film wastes a lot of time trying to shoehorn in a very forced love story, but the film looks great, the performances are solid, and the final action scene is top notch, even if it is a bit short. If you want a taste of early Ridley Scott, it's a decent way to spend a few hours. It even ends with the hallmark of any good 80s movie, a big ol' thumbs up freeze frame right at the camera. It's also starting to get very hot here in the East Bay area, so went to some underwater horror with 1989's Leviathan. It was an experiment that tampered with nature's most basic laws. It went terribly wrong. It was buried five miles down. Now, a crew of undersea miners is about to stumble upon this terrifying secret. Shack to seven, what's going on out there, Williams? God, are you picking this up? Look at that. Leviathan. Currently with the Russian fleet in the Baltic Sea. Currently it's rusted junk and we're looking at it. What's your air reading? 20 minutes. Do something quick. There must have been something in the water in 1989 because aquatic horror films seem to be all the rage. James Cameron's Abyss is clearly the most impressive of the bunch, but there were plenty of others like Deep Star 6, Lords of the Deep, The Rift, and of course, this film here. Not that I'm complaining, I love a good underwater horror film. The literal pressure of being miles under the Earth's surface adds a layer of natural horror no matter what's going on inside the rig because you know what will happen if the environment gets a hold of the players. Leviathan stars Peter Weller as Stephen Beck, a geologist who's probably better at studying the Earth than he is at managing a rig full of people. His crew consists of a handful of stereotypes, including the serious one, played by Ernie Hudson, the sexy one, the doctor, the ethnic one, and Daniel Stern playing the one you know will die first. The film takes its time at first getting us uh, into the ship, we get to know the crew a bit, we get to see their dynamics, how they play together, and the first moments of suspense have nothing to do with the impending doom of the second half. It's a good 30 minutes before the real plot is introduced, and that's when things really start to pick up as Leviathan transforms into a ripoff of Alien, The Thing, and even Jaws. Now, some films wear their influences on their sleeves, and then some just take directly from those which came before. The sets, shots, and themes are all nearly identical to Alien, right down to the selfish corporation with its boot on the neck of the crew, and some of the transformation and creature effects are directly taken from The Thing. 
That being said, Leviathan is a pretty fun movie thanks to the strong performances by the cast and the way that director George P. Cosmatos lets you settle in before the shit hits the fan. Sit back and breathe in the nostalgia of low-budget 80s sci-fi movies because this one, it's a pretty good time. I also watched Drive this week, but not Drive from 2011, the Ryan Gosling-led epic directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. No, this Drive was from 1997. Just relax and drive. You don't look like Miss Daisy. I should be driving. You know fucking Shut up. Have you ever heard the term bioengine? I have one in my chest. There's a corporation in L.A. They will pay me $5 million for it. You would be held responsible if the competition acquired this object. You help me get to L.A., I'll give you half the money. What do you say? It's suicide. Can we talk about it? Tell me on the way down. No! Come get it. Lock him and shock him, gentlemen. Toby, a cybernetically enhanced man who's way more dangerous than his name lets on, teams up with an out-of-work musician as they're hunted by a hapless henchman, a cyborg assassin, and Kid Rock. Drive's story is about as deep as a 13-year-old's secret journal, but it's a lot of fun due to its relentless action scenes. Mark Dacascos plays Toby, a science experiment with a terrible name who's been implanted with a bio-engine, which makes him faster and stronger than your average Joe. Dacascos in real life is an accomplished martial artist, and his skills are on full display here, unless he's falling or taking a hit, and then it clearly switches to a stunt double who has way more hair and is about a foot shorter. Kadeem Hardison, a.k.a. Dwayne Wayne, plays Malik, the other half of this buddy duo. He has zero fighting skills, and the movie would play out no differently without him. He's basically here to make zany faces and spit one-liners that generally don't land. The two work best together when there's not much time to talk, and luckily the film moves along at a very brisk pace. One standout scene has our two protagonists chained to each other as Toby uses the hapless Malik as a weapon. The action scenes are all pretty good, and the hand-to-hand -hand combat makes exceptional use of the environment. Fights reminded me of a low-budget Jackie Chan, which is definitely a compliment. I was surprised at how long some of the fight scenes went on as Dacascos used anything and everything at his disposal to rid the world of faceless, mindless bad guys that were probably hired straight off of Craigslist. There are also some explosions that really rock, especially one that sees an entire complex leveled. The villains are all pretty inept, and it makes you wonder how they got hired to take these guys out in the first place. Aside from finding their targets, they're not good for anything else. Firing guns isn't anyone's strong suit in this movie, even the protagonists. Not one person on screen could hit a brick wall at five paces. They're led by Vic Madison, an over-the-top caricature that looks like Kid Rock drove a motorcycle through a country western discount store and used whatever wardrobe stuck to him when he emerged on the other side. I like that he was continuously overmatched by the super soldier and never felt like he had the upper hand because he shouldn't have. The cyborg assassin only really shows up at the end of the film, but you can tell the actor knew what he was doing. One cool moment shows him flick a coin through someone's neck. Unfortunately, the trickle of blood that rolls off the corridor is really the only blood in the film, as the fight scenes are very PG-13. Even a scene featuring NPCs carrying machetes that get turned on them is bloodless. Drive is a lot of fun, but I do have two complaints. About halfway through, the two stop at a hotel run by a character named Deliverance Bodine, a name seemingly plucked from an online stupid character name generator, played by Brittany Murphy. This was filmed two years removed from Clueless, and I gotta be honest, I don't know what the fuck Murphy was doing in this role. Her character is old enough to run a hotel and feel like a love interest, but she acts like an 11-year-old with a mental condition. 
In one example, as Dacascos rests to recharge, she sings and jumps on the bed like a fucking toddler trying to wake up their hungover parents, and it was absolutely embarrassing watching this on screen. The other major complaint I have is the music in the film, which ranges from shitty royalty-free heavy metal to hip-hop tracks found on the cutting room floor of the sitcom Living Single that aren't good enough to make the background music in a Toe Jam and Earl video game. The movie would have felt a whole lot better without the goofy-sounding music underlining every moment. Overall, Drive is a good time. I think it would have been better if Malik was more than just a handcuff, Brittany Murphy's character was completely excised from the film, and the script had more bone-snapping and blood, but very good time. The company MVD did an excellent job with the Blu-ray, which features the director's cut. It's got over 8 minutes of deleted scenes, a full commentary track, a long documentary, it's like 47 minutes long, and the theatrical cut if you're so inclined. The last thing I want to talk about today, the last thing I want to mention is, it's not something that I've been watching, but rather something that I've been listening to. That's another podcast, and it's called Disc Commentary. Disc Commentary has tons of uploads of filmmaker commentaries ripped from, seemingly from DVDs and Blu-ray discs. And if you're looking to gain some insight on your favorite films from the people that made them, this is an awesome way to do it. I love the idea of director's commentaries, but being a father of a three-year-old, and, uh, you know, I've, I've got a job, I got stuff to do, and I don't often get to sit down and watch a movie again with the director's commentary, and this allows me to do it on the go, in the car, uh, wherever. The first one I listened to was the Mission Impossible Fallout commentary with the director Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise, and it's just such a fun listen. You don't even need to be watching the movie while you listen to it. Uh, you can legitimately tell that these two just kind of love working with each other and just very engaging commentary track. I highly recommend this feed. Again, it's called Disc Commentary. It's found wherever you get your podcasts. They've got like the God, the classics like The Godfather, Platoon, The Thing, From Dusk Till Dawn with uh, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. They've got all like some Marvel ones. There's tons of stuff on here. So go check it out. Disc Commentary. I don't know about you, but if I was making a list of top five desserts, flan, or flan, however you say it, flan, would definitely make my list. But unlike other great desserts like ice cream cones, choco tacos, and cupcakes, flan has one big flaw. You can't eat it on the go. You can't drive while you're eating flan because you need a fork or a spoon, a vessel to get it into your mouth, and you're going to get flan all over you. And public transportation? Forget about it. You're definitely getting mugged for your delicious caramel custard. Fortunately, today's sponsor has made it easy for you to take your flan on the go with the new Pocket Flan. It's flan, but in a tube. Now you can enjoy the taste sensation that's sweeping the nation wherever, whenever. No spoon, no mess. Just three simple steps. That's right, three simple steps, folks. Just flip it, flip it. squeeze it, Mmm, man, enjoy. Yeah, one second, Tim. Yeah. What was that name again? It's fantastic. Welcome back to the Force Five podcast. Joining me tonight, I have writer, producer, cinematographer, probably a bunch of other stuff. Zeke Cam, how's it going, Zeke? Awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on. You can find Zeke's newest film, The Last Blockbuster, about, yes, The Last Blockbuster video store in Bend, Oregon. Right now, it's ironically hanging out in the streaming giant Netflix's top movie charts. Um, that must be an experience. Like, I'm sure you've been using Netflix for a long time, and all of a sudden, your movie is like 
the number one movie on Netflix? I wasn't actually familiar with the service. Hadn't heard of it. Because <laughs> you just hang out at the video store still. Yeah. I mean, I'd heard of streaming, but I didn't know how it worked. No. Yeah, of course. I've been... I, uh, I actually, when we started the movie, I was not a Netflix streaming customer. Really? Uh, yeah. No, I... We found him, guys. We found him. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I'd had it on and off, but it was, I hadn't had it for a couple of years. I just gotten so busy. I didn't really watch uh, as much TV and movies uh, as I wished I could. So I was like, meh. You know, once you cut but the now cord... now you're a subscriber. Yeah, now I am. At least for the next two years. <laughs> for to, to give people a, a little bit about your tastes in movies, what are some of your favorite movies of all time that might not make our list topic today? Oh, I wasn't prepared for that. Most of my favorite <laughs> movies are on the list. Oh, and now okay. I got to look okay. at I got to look at the list and yeah, no. Mm, uh, the Woodsman in the Rain, for sure. Uh, it's a I believe it's Japanese film. I've not heard of that one. You got to check it out. It's uh, anyone who watches that movie and if you watch that movie, you'll get what I, who I am and what I like about things because it's just, it's packed with weirdness and pathos and love and uh, comedy. It's, it's really a wonderful film. And I just saw it by uh, circumstance, uh, happenstance. I was uh, on, uh, I, I think I was flying to Germany at the time, or I might have been, I might have been flying to China, and uh, it was on the list of movies that you could pick from on the on the plane, and I thought it seemed weird, so I watched it <laughs> and uh, I completely fell in love with. It. I've probably watched it fifteen, twenty times. I'm looking it up right now, and it definitely seems like something up my alley. Uh, comedy film, zombie movie. Yeah, so it's it's not a zombie movie. It's a movie where in the woods, where the where the woodsman works, he's uh, like a lumberjack, basically. Um, they're making a zombie movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I don't want to give anything away. So I'll just I'll just say that much. It's like many great foreign comedies where the comedy isn't the main note in the film. It's def sure. definitely funny, but I mean, it's not like an Italian comedy where it's about Hitler and dogs being murdered. <laughs> <laughs> the Woodsman in the Rain. Okay, yes. I got to check that out. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. Our list topic today was super fun. It is five movies that you think would be better as TV shows. Well, I don't know about better, but I wish they had made them into TV shows. Okay. All right. See, mine, I think they would all be better as TV shows in the right circumstances. That would be a totally different list for me because <laughs> several of my favorite movies are in this list. So I, I don't think the show would be better than the movie, but I do wish they had made it into a TV show either because it would be super fucking weird or, or I would just get to live in that world a little longer. I dig it. I dig it. What was your, so that's kind of your inspiration. Like you just want to see some of your favorite films, just, just live in that world a bit more. Yeah. That, or just because it would be so bizarre. One or the other. I did, I did come up with a list of, of movies that were better as TV shows, but this was just more like ones I wish they had also made into TV shows. 
I'm I'm looking at my list here, and I can tell you the theme of mine is five movies that I don't think are very good that would probably be good as TV shows. Well, that's great because that's a nice uh, contrast. It's it's yeah, a little it's, juxtaposition. Yeah, in the theme, but juxtaposed. <laughs> All right, Zeke, let's get to the list. You know what's gonna happen? You know what's happening here right now? You know what's gonna happen? Five movies that either would have been better as TV shows or five movies that would also make great TV shows. Yeah. Let's see. What do I want to start with? I guess I will start with, oh, see, mine's not in any kind of order. Okay. Although I have one that I think is going to be great that I'm going to save for number one. So I'll start with what I think would probably be like, well, fuck it. I'll just start off. Hitman 2007. There are those who speak of a man bred from the world's deadliest criminals, raised by an exiled brotherhood of the church. His purpose, to rid the world of the evil that infects it. This is a movie based on a video game, (laughs) but... But here's the thing, like, give this thing a 10-episode Amazon Prime run, and it would be awesome. Like the, the way that the video game plays, are you familiar with the hit the Hitman video games? I am not. I am not much of a video game guy. Okay, well, let me explain it to you. Basically, the game is laid out in very episodic fashion. You take control of this Hitman. His name's Agent 47. Timothy Oliphant played him in the film. Oh, I love him. He's great. He- he is. He's awesome. So we're going to keep him in this TV show that I'm pitching. Please. But each episode, as the hitman, you have very specific targets to take out. But it's a sandbox world, and each chapter, you are in a different location. So we've got a globe-hopping hitman. You might be in a farm in Colorado, or you might be in a castle in Ireland. Mm. And the way you you kill these people is really however you want. There are so many different creative ways. You could shoot him in the head with a silenced pistol or you can rig an explosive to a chandelier and blow the chandelier down onto him. Ooh, glass shards. Yes, there's tons of different ways. My son would love this movie. The movie's not great, but the video (laughs) games are great. (laughs) he He would love your TV show version of it. I think everybody would. See, each episode, you frame this up as you got the setup, uh, you introduce the villain, you introduce the locale, and then we watch him go through over the course of, I don't know, 46 to 55 minutes, and you watch him take this person down. But of course, there's an overarching political conspiracy that he's unknowingly involved in, and each episode he gets closer to finding out what's really going on. You got all kinds of material already there. There's like seven or eight different Hitman games. You've got the costumes you can add in. The in-game Easter eggs. This is a total winner. I've done decades of television development for the studios in Hollywood. And I'm going to tell you exactly the line you have to use when you pitch it to sell it. Let's hear it. It's post-Trump Fantasy Island. (laughs) That's the line, huh? Yep. Done deal. Oh, my gosh. You can have that for free. That's just yours. I tell you what, I got four more 
post-Trump fantasy islands on my list. Oh, wow. They're all, they're all the same. <laughs> all right. <laughs> the same pitch. <laughs> I mean, you could use that pitch for just about anything, really. Oh, I'm using it. I'm using it. <laughs> all right, Zeke, what do you got uh, number five on your list? Number five, I have uh, my second favorite movie of all times, Amelie. This is Amelie. With the discovery of a simple childhood treasure, she begins a quest to fix other people's lives. And perhaps her own as well. I think uh, it's such a quirky, uh, love-packed, pathos-packed world that's uh, just eye candy, but with a soul. I uh, just would would love to see it. It's hard to distill it down. It, it's it's become part of my psyche. It's basically this really sweet, cute girl, uh, who is probably would you say mid twenties, maybe. Yeah, she was pretty. She was pretty young. Mid twenties, and uh, she kind of has arrested development because her parents just never hugged her. It's kind of a way to boil it down. So, like, mm-hmm. you find out in flashbacks very effectively, uh, the director is masterful. He's also the guy who did Delicatessen, another brilliant Yeah, filmmaker. Jean-Pierre Jeunet. Yes, brilliant brilliant filmmaker and storyteller. Unfortunately, he also did the fourth Alien movie. Yeah, I, I don't mention that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and City of Lost Children, which is another one of my all-time favorite films. Oh, yeah. Brilliant film. Yeah. Uh, so, Amelie is less... Uh, steam uh cyberpunk steampunk no, no not cyberpunk steampunk than city of lost children but it's equally well designed uh the color uh, he didn't i like to tell people that you don't have to think about every detail when you make a movie but every detail you don't think about is a wasted opportunity to tell your story and he didn't miss a single detail he doesn't in any of his movies but uh anomaly the colors the tactile sensations that you get from the characters having tactile sensations, it's, uh, it's almost overwhelming. And uh, she's, it's basically her first love story, this character's first love story. And uh, it's weird and tender and uh, oddly funny. And uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's a really, really hopeful film, and it will. It's one of those films like if you're in a bad mood, you can put this on, and it will make you happy. And it's great. Like, I think it was nominated for four or five different Academy Awards that year, something like that. Yeah, and completely launched Audrey Tuteau, the the lead actress. It completely launched her career into the stratosphere. She was later in probably her most popular movie was uh, what was that? book that was made into a movie that she was in with tom hanks uh da vinci code that's it da vinci code see i told you i wouldn't be able to remember names if i hadn't written it down (laughs) (laughs) to to be frank uh, da vinci code not really a memorable movie uh but but you know she was uh before amelie she was probably a waitress so just like she was in amelie yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) Your pick is way more hopeful and way more happy than Hitman. That's for sure. Well, it depends on your point of view. That's like a like a pre-Trump fantasy island. Yes. Let's see. My number four 
Wow, I'm just I'm really gonna go the opposite route of Amelie to a TV show that is not going to make you hopeful, but is going to scare the crap out of you. Mm. And this one, I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch this one as a 10 episode Netflix series okay. for 2013's The Purge. Tonight allows people a release for all the hatred and violence if they keep up inside them. Why don't you guys kill someone tonight? Because we don't feel the need to, Johnny. Just remember all the good the purge does. We'll be fine just like always, no worries, okay? This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge. At the siren, all emergency services will be suspended for 12 hours. Your government thanks you for your participation. I'm surprised that's not a TV show. That really should be a TV show. It's an absurd premise. Yeah. Uh, if you've never heard of The Purge, there's this annual event when the United States has made all crime legal for 24 hours. And for some reason, this makes the U.S. virtually crime-free. And there's like no unemployment, which is such a weird thought. Yeah. But like the premise is so stupid. But from an exploitation lens, there's just so much you can do from it. I have the perfect pitch line for you. <laughs> Let's have it. It's a Trump fantasy island. <laughs> I, I take it back. I don't want this TV show anymore. <laughs> uh, let's. The, the show's been canceled before it even got off the ground. Thank goodness. It was only on for four years. Oh, we casted James Woods as the lead here. Oh, what have I done? John <laughs> Voight's in there too somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, what I was thinking, <laughs> one, of my favorite t- <laughs> one of my favorite TV shows of all time is 24. So we have a 24-like scenario. You hang out with this group of people as the purge starts, and then we hang out with them as they try to make it through the day with crazier and crazier stuff happening around them. You got possibility for other seasons, you know, different years of the purge with different sure. people and current events mixed in, like the pandemic purge. How would that look different? Yeah. We, uh, we get the chance to see all the politics surrounding it, the aftermath, how it affects people, like what, hap- what happens the next day, you know? It's, yeah, that's a weird thought. Just There's a lot that you could do with the idea, and you'd totally be able to switch it up from year to year. But like I said, we're not going to have another season because it's already been canceled. We shot the pilot. Didn't work out. Yep. Purge 2013. Yep. Largest largest turnout ever, and it, it lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a bomb. <laughs> All right. What's your number four, my friend? Uh, I hope you've seen this movie. Bugsy Malone. Someone once said it was raining brains. Roxy Robinson wouldn't even get wet. Roxy had spent his whole life making two and two into five. But he could smell trouble like other people could smell gas. But believe you's me, he should have never taken that blind alley by the side of Perito's Bakery. This is a movie I have watched, easily watched, a hundred times. Now, it helps that I started watching it when I was five or seven. (laughs) (laughs) It's a musical, and I can't remember the name of the guy who composed it, but he's pretty famous. Uh, People my age would, I don't know how old you are, but I I just turned 50. So anyone around my age would recognize the guy. 
uh, from other things that he was Paul in. Williams. That's it, Paul Williams. Yeah. Um, and it's basically a dark comic romance, which is my favorite genre or subgenre, uh, where uh, it's like a gangster set in the 1920s, I think, gangster film uh, with Scott. Oh, now I forgot his name. Scott Baio, Scott another Baio. one that would probably be uh, starring in my Purge show. He would. Yeah, he'd be happy to. <laughs> uh, a young Scott Baio, back when he was more tolerant. Uh, he's This is pre-Joni Loves Chachi. Um, <laughs> I don't know how old he was. He was probably 10 or 11 in this. Oh, wow. And he plays an adult. In fact, the whole movie is all kids playing adults oh i have heard of this and it's stupendous i love it i i wish i wish it was real (laughs) but since i can't make it real let's at least make it into a tv show come on as a as a musical comedy gangster film yes what's the plan are we thinking like six episodes we thinking like full tv 24 episode run like what's the what's the plan here uh the plan would be a daily show forever (laughs) for the rest of my life oh wow okay but just an hour because i'd want to be able to rewatch it (laughs) and i don't really watch much more than an hour tv a day unless i'm watching a movie so (laughs) all right i'm i mean i'm looking up the description here we have machine guns that fire gobs of whipped cream instead of bullets that's correct it doesn't get much better than that whole thing was shot in a studio in in uh, outside of london uh the sets are wonderful it's gritty it's 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 a magnificent film the songs are so catchy i know every word to every song (laughs) looks like there's a blu-ray version that you can import Mm. that's all region so wow are there i gotta check this out not on any streaming services as we talk now you can oh it's free on canopy oh it is excellent i have a dvd of it but those are just nice for looking at uh, the actual. Thing. And look at that little Jodie Foster on there. Oh, yeah, you can also uh, rent it on Amazon. Great. Do it. Very cool. And just because I wanted to know, you could also stream Bugsy, which came out in 1991 on Stars, if you want the adult version, which has nothing to do with Bugsy Malone, the uh, musical. Yeah. See, so yeah, now I have two films that I got to watch on my list from just tonight alone. All right. Well, I'm pretty sure you've seen the other ones on my list. So you're good. All right. Well, my next one, maybe you've seen. I'm sure that you've heard of the book, at least, and that's Needful Things from 1993. Castle Rock Entertainment and Stephen King invite you to visit Castle Rock, Maine, a quiet little town whose population has just increased by one. Do you believe in the devil, Father? I guess I have to. You can't have one without the other. What does he look like? What the hell does he look like? May I take this opportunity to welcome you to Castle Rock on the good Lord's behalf? Why not? So where are you from? Ohio. I've been in this business a long time, and I've learned the pleasure of offering my customers what they really need. He came here to destroy us. Oh, you wishes. You could... Probably put a lot of different Stephen King books on a list like this, but 
I'm thinking like eight episode miniseries. You got to put it on like Showtime and HBO. This guy comes into this very small town in Maine, of course, because it's Stephen King. Right. And he sets up a shop in this shop. It's like an antique shop. It's called Needful Things. And it sells these collectibles and antiques. And when you walk in there, there's an item specifically geared towards every single person in the town. Oh. Now, when I walk in, the item that I see is going to be different from what you see. So I might see something that I really got to have, but you walk in there, you wouldn't see that item because the owner of the store is not human. So you walk in and you see this item that you have to have. And the owner of the shop, he doesn't take money. He takes favors for these items. Mm, Deal with the devil. Exactly. Now, the items range from there's one kid that wants like a Sandy Koufax rookie card. Uh, There's one lady that wants this pair of sunglasses that when you wear them, it allows you to make love to Elvis Presley. Like they're they're like they, they range in what they do. But the favors that Leland Gaunt, the shop owner, asks for are specifically tugs favors. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They're they're basically like I need you to do this seemingly innocent thing to this person and they're like little pranks uh like i want you to go put mud on somebody's sheets and put a little note that says you know this is your last warning from betty down the street whatever it is but as time goes by these pranks elevate leading to this massive aggression amongst the townspeople chaos death and then he starts stocking things like guns and explosives Mm upselling that's called classic (laughs) upsell (laughs) you gotta come back you know i'm gonna have new stock next week that that sounds like a great tv show it's right in that whole cursed curio genre which was really popular in the late 80s i think there were several of those kind of shows you know you take a book that's 700 pages and you slim it down to 120 pages on screen it just does not work uh it didn't have enough time to develop these characters, these relationships, and I just didn't buy that the sheriff would understand what was going on in the the amount of time that he did. It felt very Scooby Doo like, mm. and 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 then the book leaves it open for a sequel, so could still happen. Honestly, I think at some point it will, especially with all the new attention that Stephen King properties are getting. But this one needs a mini series at least. It needs like. Six to eight episodes. Let's make it happen. Yeah, I could see that happening. So based on the book, just a miniseries based on the book. Not a, You got to base it on the book. Not a sequel to, yeah. the, to the movie. That movie had J.T. Walsh in it. The very impressive, uh, great character actor, J.T. Walsh. Died way before his time. I know. He was great. I think Bonnie Bedelia was in there too. Yeah. I'm looking at the IMDb because I didn't see the movie, so I was cheating. <laughs> It's been a long time since I've seen it, but man, it's a, it was a good book. It was one of the very first, it was the first Stephen King book I ever read. I like mm. took it off my mom's shelf and didn't tell her and then read it through sixth grade. It was way too much for me in sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> a little uh, thing I saw on the internet came up. It said that was the first book he wrote after he had recovered from drug and alcohol addiction. Don't know if that's true. Blame the internet if it's wrong. I blame the internet for everything. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. Number three. Okay. Number three. My top 
favorite movie of all times, Punch Drunk Love. I wanted to ask you something because you're a doctor, right? Yeah. I don't like myself sometimes. Can you help me? Mary, I'm a dentist. This is Georgia. This is Barry Egan. So what do you do, Barry? I have my own business. Uh, we have a non-breakable handle. Let me demonstrate for you. You're married, aren't you? No. Barry, what's your sister? There's this friend of mine from work, and I want you to meet her. This is Lena. Hi. Hi. Do you have a girlfriend? No. It must be weird for you to have so many sisters. Actually, no, it's very nice. All Remember right. we used to call you gay boy and get all mad? What's that? We were calling you gay boy and you got so mad. Very surprising since its star is Adam Sandler. If you haven't seen it, just see it. If you don't like it, don't be friends with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a brilliant film, brilliant director. Uh, it was written uh, in, I think... One week or two weeks in a cabin, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, yes. He had finished, uh, which one had he done? The one about the valley in L.A., huge, with the, where the frogs ran. Magnolia. Out. Magnolia. Uh, and it really wiped him out. That was an intense movie. Probably one of the best movies ever made. Not one of my favorites. Uh, it's in my top ten, but, uh, but still, I have to say, it's probably one of the best, even though... It's not one of my favorites. Um, and his agent or manager said, you need to go away and recoup. Like, that movie almost killed you making that movie. Uh, here's a cabin. Go to the cabin for a couple weeks. And he was there like one or two days. And then he wrote this movie. And then he left early to come back. <laughs> I would be down to see this yeah, for sure. Dark romantic comedy. Again, all my favorites are. And uh, Quirky, uh, I would, as long as the right director and writer was there, I would be happy to ha have Adam Sandler in it. Uh, but I'd also be happy for them to take any of the other characters in the movie and make them the leads, as long as it was the same tone and world. Something uh, almost magic realism about it, like where almost anything could happen. And it did. During the run of that show, I would love to see just one episode focused on the Mattress Man. And unfortunately, we'll never get to have that because Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the Mattress Man. I, ha I have a solution God for damn, that. God damn, he's so good. I have a solution for oh, that. Oh, let's hear it. Um, computer animation. <laughs> <laughs> but what a shame we wouldn't get to see him reprise that role. Yeah. Well, maybe you could just do his, his episode. You could just use... Um, ad lib takes that he did for the movie and cut them together. I'm sure there were plenty. Yeah. I, I tell you, when I saw this movie, I saw it in the theaters because I'm a big Paul Thomas Anderson fan. Uh, you said that Magnolia is probably in your top 10 and this is your favorite movie of all time. Boogie Nights is in my top five for sure. Great movie. Um, so I, I was so looking forward to this, even though I'm not a big, traditionally, I'm not a big Adam Sandler fan. Me either. <laughs> There's a moment in the end, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but there's a moment of catharsis near the end. And it was one of those like releases of tension that is unlike many experiences I've had in a the theater. Yep. It, this was the only movie I've ever seen in the theater. 
and went back the next day to see it again. I've seen a lot of movies multiple times in the theater, but never the next day. And if, it, if I hadn't seen a late show, I probably would have gone back the same day. I was completely overwhelmed by how masterfully it was put together. So like for me as a filmmaker, and I've been doing this a long time, uh, over 20 years, wait, oh my God, over, over 30 years. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I started right out of, I started making films before I even got to college and then working professionally while I was in college. So it's been, it's been over 30 years. When I watch a movie, I can appreciate it for lots of different things, right? Like I can appreciate how great the editing is, how great the dialogue is, how well it's written, or the acting, the sound design, the color design, lots of different things. But the movies at the top of my list, I don't think about any of that stuff until I've seen it three, four, or five times. It's, it's movies that are almost perfect. And I would say there's, I can't recall right now what it is. Uh, there's something near the, like near the end of Amelie that feels like an ending, but then they keep going. And if I mm -hmm. had to say a mistake, I would say that was the only mistake in the whole movie. Otherwise it was perfect. Um, and no other movie has, in my opinion, just one mistake. Uh, Punch Drunk Love, zero. I feel like there isn't a single thing, and I know it's huge ego, a-hole kind of thing to say, but as a, as a highly critical of myself, even, filmmaker, I, there's nothing, there's not one single moment I would change in Punch Drunk Love, except I would have had it made into a TV show, maybe called The Mattress Man. Oh, it's such a great title. Yeah. Such a great title. We got to get the music from John Bryan back in there, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. One of my favorite soundtrack artists, or musicians at all, for that matter. He's influenced so many other like shows and movies that he hasn't written. For, for about a decade, you could always tell when a John Bryan soundtrack came up. But now you can't tell because so many people have ripped it off. Good pick. I would love to see that show. The Mattress Man. I'm in. Sign me up. My number two, I'm going to, I'm just going to guess that you haven't seen my number two. Okay. I hope I've never seen your number two. <laughs> and I don't know if it will impress me if you have seen it, <laughs> but uh, it's from 2001, directed by a masterful director, James Wan. And the movie is called The One. Oh, I've seen it. What if there was a killer traveling through parallel universes and he looked just like you? The good news is you're not crazy. The bad news. Before I saw him, I felt him. It was me. What if he would stop at nothing to take over your world? Each time he kills one of you, the energy divides among the survivors. He's close to you, lost strength. Maybe it's part of what's been going on with you. When people get older, Gabe, they don't get stronger. They don't get faster all of a sudden. If we kill him, the premise of the one is that there's like 120 something different universes that are all connected. So in this universe, there are in these different universes, there's always going to be a Zeke. But that Zeke might be, you know, you're a director, or a writer in this one, but you might in another one, you might be a gas station attendant. 
And in another one, you might be the president of the United States. Uh, this is 120 something different versions of you. But if one of you dies, then the other 120 versions get a little bit stronger. It's like you're all connected, sharing this similar amount of power that's evenly distributed. So that's like the setup for this world that we're in here. Jet Li plays the main character and the main bad guy. The best uh, movie slash TV martial arts star ever. The bad version of him learns that this can happen, and he basically travels to all these different dimensions, assassinating himself so he can usurp that power. Yep. Like, you get to see, <laughs> watching the one, it, it's. I think it's a, it's a fun movie to watch, but if I need to sell you to watch the one, there's a, a version of Jet Li that has dreadlocks. You also have Jason Statham and Delroy Lindo, both of who are great as these multiverse agents. They're like a, an agency that just polices dimension travel, and they're going to go and stop him from assassinating the last version of Jet Li. Because if you assassinate the last version of you, you essentially have all the power, and you're like a god. Yeah, and if I recall, it was, uh, there was definitely some Matrix-style action oh, yeah. in it. Yeah, which it to, was definitely inspired by The Matrix. Which, to be fair, The Matrix was clearly inspired by several Jet Li movies, like without a doubt. Oh, also a good point. Some yeah. of the, the earlier Chinese, or I guess Hong Kong, to be correct, movies that he was in. Man, this this show, okay, think about it on like FXX sure. or HBO, so you get this level of violence and creativity that it needs to have. I mean, this dude in the movie, the bad Jet Li is like, kicking corpses into people and killing them because that's how powerful he is. Mm -hmm. Fight scenes that could be way better now. You got uh, special effects that are way more advanced than 2001. We, we explore these worlds over 13 episodes as Statham and Delroy Lindo just try and find this guy through this. You can have all kinds of cool stuff through this these different dimensions. And then think about, you know, as the evil Jet Li knows he's getting these powers, on the other hand, you have these other Jet Lees who have no idea what's going on when, you know, he's just opening the door to go to work and he rips the door off. Like, honey, I did it again. <laughs> he doesn't know what's going on, but he's replacing doors every day. Oh, yeah, the one from 2001. I think it would make a great TV show. Ah, uh, for sure. So what I would like to propose is, is it a violation of your podcast rules if I, th if I put a companion TV show for yours? Oh, one. let's do it. I would love This is like a this is like a bonus. 2B for me then. <laughs> a bonus. Uh TV series of Shaolin Soccer. Oh yeah, that would be a great TV show. Oh my god. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Like I would watch I'd watch a show every day. That'd be the best show. I mean it, they couldn't make re, they couldn't make it with American actors. It'd have to be made over Oh, there absolutely not. and be like true. Um you got to get Stephen Chow to direct yes. the, at least the pilot. Yes. For sure, I would love that. I would eat that up. What would you? How would you pitch that one? See how successful the TV version of the one went. <laughs> Greenlit right off the bat. Here, this is the yeah, this is the comedy version. <laughs> love it. No, the way you pitch the way you pitch <laughs> TV show versions of movies is you just say it's a TV show version of the movie, <laughs> and if the movie did well enough. Then they give you the money and hope that it works. Well, the one was certainly not a hit, but uh, 
I'll have to take my chances with the pitch anyway. Well, then you need a <laughs> you need a, a big star in there. Well, Jet Li, I guess he's not a star anymore. Well, he's still a star. He's got the power. I would say replace Jet Li with The Rock, and they'll definitely buy it. Oh. I'm not saying that would make a better show. And The Rock will definitely do it because he's so hard up for work yeah. right now. It would not be a better show than with Jet Li, but you would definitely sell it. That's true. Well, The Rock could be like the Jason. He could be next to Jason Statham. We we replaced Delroy Lindo with The Rock, and now you have Hobbs and Shaw just in TV show form. It's, it, I love it. There we go. Perfect. That was a great movie, Hobbs and Shaw. I was not expecting to like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree with you there. I did not like that movie. Really? Yeah, and I love the Fast and Furious series. As as weird as that might sound, I have never seen any of the other Fast and Furious movies. I don't believe it's you. It's true. What? Yeah, it's true. I keep I keep going to watch them with my son, and he keeps going. Let's watch something else. You got to start with number five. Okay. Just disregard. Uh, f- number one is, you know, it's funny for nostalgic purposes because they're jacking like uh, VCRs out of a truck. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, that's very 2001. Mm. How many of those fit in a skyline? <laughs> and then number two, not good. Number three, definitely not good. Number four is okay. But number five is where it starts. They just leaned into it and said, you know what? These guys are superheroes. Let's make them act like it. What are they? What are they up to now? nine is coming this summer oh boy i got a lot to watch (laughs) nine (laughs) yeah yeah and you're gonna be you're gonna be picking up all those old hobbs and shaw references excellent even without those my son and i really enjoyed that movie you know what we'll probably really love fast and the furious then if you liked hobbs and shaw you're gonna love anything from five on all right i'll start with five yeah once you watch five let me know what you think you got it all right, number two for you. Okay, speaking of numbers, and this movie is definitely in my top 20, Ocean's Eleven. It's never been done before. What's the target? When was the last time you were in Vegas? You want to knock over a casino? Three casinos? Vegas, huh? Vegas? Vegas. Fantastic. The heist is impossible. Casino security cannot be beaten. You're out of your minds. Exactly. (laughs) You are up to something, Danny. What? You're pulling a job, aren't you? You're a thief and a liar. I only lied about being a thief. You're gonna need a crew as nuts as you are. What do you got in mind? How could it not be a series? What an amazing... Now, there kind of was a TV series in England... That was basically Ocean's Eleven. And I think they probably even, I think they even made it a very short-lived American version of the English version, which was clearly influenced by Ocean's Eleven, unless it came out first, in which case Ocean's Eleven was influenced by it. Hmm. <laughs> so Ocean's Eleven, like, it, I mean, it, it's really obvious how that would be a TV show. They just, you have one, in my opinion, I would do it this way. You have one, like, long con that's for the whole season, right? And then you've got a bunch of Mm -hmm. short cons, one for each hour-long episode. Yeah, which is kind of how the movies are structured, right? It's like you got to pull off all these little things to get the big heist going. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it writes itself. Although, hire me and I'll write it for you. (laughs) And uh, what what a cast, too. I mean, if you could get those guys for a TV show. Oh, you couldn't get all those guys together for a picnic. <laughs> Speaking of picnic, 
Brad Pitt would be eating in every scene still. <laughs> they uh, they have to shoot some of those scenes without the actors in the same room because all of those- That doesn't surprise me. All those actors are so busy getting their schedules lined up is almost impossible. If not, there would have been a lot more Ocean's Eleven movies, which would have been great because then the director whose name escapes me right now- uh, That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Soderbergh. Yeah, he he. Uh, then he wouldn't have been able to direct uh, the Oscars this year, which would have been nice because those were terrible. Wait, he directed the Oscars? I mean, unless someone was playing a prank on me. Oh my gosh! Yeah, unless someone tapped into my video feed and put his name up there. My favorite of all of his movies is it's called like Skits or Schizo or something like that. And I think it was his first film. Like, I have not seen he's it. He's in it. It's super bizarro indie film. He's the main. He plays the main character. Uh, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, I mean it's not. It's no Ocean's Eleven or twelve or yeah maybe thirteen. Yeah, or Ocean's Eight. Oh, eight. That's the one. That's the one I meant to make fun of. <laughs> My wife's like, I loved that. I loved this one. And I was like, come on, you know, I'm a feminist, but you can't say you like something just because <laughs> they put women in it. It was a terrible movie. Uh, Schizopolis was the That's it. movie you're looking for. Yes. Yeah. You can just cut, cut in me saying it was called Schizopolis. And then everyone would be <laughs> impressed that I remembered the name exactly right. Wow. That's a great memory. Yeah. You remember names of movies really well. Just that movie. <laughs> <laughs> On to my number one. My number one was a movie that I was very disappointed in, but I liked the first 10 minutes. And so that's my pitch for this TV show. It's specifically based on the best part of X-Men Origins Wolverine from 2009. I want new ones. And what do you want to say? Wolverine. The animal. Embrace the other side. I think he heard you. I liked that movie. I liked the first 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it was written by uh, Skip Woods, who <laughs> I just, I call Skip Woods Rotten Tomatoes poison. I don't know if he has something on somebody in Hollywood, like the dude just... He's never made a movie that I like, and I've seen... Like, he he picks properties that I really like. Wait, now that I'm thinking about it, Skip Woods also wrote Hitman. No. If, you're, if your two shows get picked up, he's going to make a lot of money. Oh, and then he's going to make more movies. I mean, this is a double-edged sword, but I'm going with it, <laughs> because right. I'm really passionate about this first 10 minutes. All right, so Wolverine, he's been around for a long time, and this movie starts in 1845 in Canada. And Is uh, he alive then? He, yeah, see, he's uh, he's got this like superhuman part of his mutant ability is that he ages very slowly. Right. He he's basically like his healing factor helps his age. And he and his brother Sabretooth they have to get out of town. And in the the first ten minutes of X Men Origins, you see them like very short clips. You see them fighting in the Civil War. 
in the World War One and World War Two, like all these different wars throughout time. Now think about that in the context of a TV show. So this is going to be like, okay, 10 to 13 episodes. Yeah, the first couple episodes, him and his brother kind of going through these wars, having little stories there. But then about halfway through, he is recruited by Major William Stryker to get into Team X, a team full of these mutants. So he joins them. We get a couple capers with them. And then he leaves the team for some reason. And then you got Stryker's team trying to hunt him down. But each season, I mean, this is called X-Men Origins. So each season, you could have a different mutant. Oh, yeah. And... There's so many different X-Men, so many different mutants that you'd never run out of material. So this is a show that theoretically could go on for a million years. Nice. And he'd still look okay, as not a million, good but... as the day, as the first episode. Yes, exactly. Because, I mean, if we can get Hugh Jackman, yeah. who's not going to watch a show with Hugh Jackman where he's rarely wearing a shirt? I mean, I, I would watch it every single day. Can we also make it a musical? I mean, every, every long-running TV show has a musical episode, right? Yeah, well, if you make the whole series... A musical, and I'll pick up the first 28 right now. <laughs> Let's just put him in the Bugsy Malone TV show. He's too show, old. And then we combine two worlds. He's too old. He can't be over 12. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why it's funny, because he's playing a 12-year-old. Oh, that is a good twist. He's got range. <laughs> that's he's true. Got... <laughs> All right, number one for you. What's your grand finale on five movies that would make great tv shows i'm totally cheating i have a tie is that oh yes this is bonus all right this is bonus bonus content tie for first place rushmore these are the names that define our world the artists who shaped our minds the rebels who challenged our views but of all these legends there is one that stands above all others. I'm sorry, did someone say my name? <laughs> What's the secret, Max? The secret? I think you just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. For me, it's going to Rushmore. Sharp little guy. He's one of the worst students we've got. And the last blockbuster. Combine them. Oh, now you're talking. I wasn't thinking of combining them. He leaves school and starts running the last blockbuster. Yeah. And he can't get any more movies because no one's making movies to sell. So he makes all the movies himself. He does his own version of of hit movies. And Bill Murray is also in the town, but he doesn't have internet. So he has to come in to rent movies. Yeah. Yeah. And every episode he's like, I'm thinking about getting internet. (laughs) But he never Just does. Just a running gag. Yep. I love it. You know how to get a hold of me, Hollywood. <laughs> I may not return your call, but... I'm surprised we don't hear your phone ringing off the hook right now. I guess that would be weird since this show is not live. I have it on vibrate. <laughs> <laughs> For those who haven't seen Rushmore, tell us a little bit about it. Dark comic romance. Coming of age. A kid who loves nothing more than storytelling making plays um has been going to a private school uh even though his family his dad can't really afford it uh for his whole life and he just gets into a lot of trouble he's a quirky kid and finally they 
I don't should I, I don't want to give anything away. Basically, yeah. he 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 starts to develop a crush on one of his teachers. I think anyone of any age could appreciate this movie. I have a a theory. So my least favorite uh, live action Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> Um, I did not like that Fox movie. Uh, I did like, I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't. I did like the, uh, that dog, the animated dog movie. I thought that was great, but, uh, I haven't seen that one either. Oh, it's, uh, I don't know if you'd like it, but if you like weird quirky stuff, it's definitely that. And it's expertly made of course, but, uh, my least favorite live action Wes Anderson movie by far is the one about the submarine. <laughs> yes, that's my least favorite too, The Life Aquatic yes, with Steve Zissou. The Life Aquatic. And I did I I saw it in the theater when it came out. I was highly enthusiastic about going. Um at at the time, Bottle Rocket and Rushmore were my favorite films. So, I uh I I maybe I just had too high expectations, but uh, I didn't like it. Didn't like it one bit. And I had uh, I had gone to a, a like a a lecture that the Writers Guild. Uh, I was in the Writers Guild when back when I lived in L.A. and uh, I got to go to this lecture where they showed Rushmore, and I can't remember how many people from the, a couple people from the movie and Wes Anderson were there, and he told the story about how uh, he writes everything with, what's his name? The one brother. Uh, Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. Thank you. I'm just going to carry you <laughs> around on my back. <laughs> and you just can fill in for me. I'll be like the little stenographer, yeah. but just for names. Yeah. My bag man who whispers the names when I can't remember them. <laughs> uh, and he was talking about how uh, Owen Wilson didn't wasn't going to write with him anymore and you could tell he was like crushed by it and someone said what are you going to do and he said i don't know because you know they were all friends before any of them were famous um yeah all the wilson brothers are in bottle rocket yeah and uh so he goes he goes i don't know and i remember like wow that's heavy and then that uh that was the first life aquatic was the first movie he made that he didn't write with Owen Wilson and watching it again later, I realized, I think the shark is Hollywood, right? In the movie, the shark that kills his best friend, right? The movie's about a guy who's trying to hunt down the shark that killed his best friend. Mm -hmm. I think Owen Wilson's the best friend and Hollywood's the shark. And if you watch it back, it might be that might be enough to make you watch it again. Um, it definitely all adds up. <laughs> so I think that's what that movie was about. That's interesting. I, I I do think I'm due for a rewatch on that because I haven't seen it since 2004. Yeah, yeah. It was much better the third time that I watched it, uh, which was more recent. I was able to appreciate things about it that I didn't before. But I hated it. It made me mad. Like, I was mad at Wes Anderson <laughs> <laughs> when that came out. Uh, 
My favorite Wes Anderson film is by far the Royal Tenenbaums. I I don't know how I don't know how to pick. Like depends it's on tough. what mood I'm in. Rushmore is a perfect film, except he had two or three endings on the end, in my opinion. Who am I to say? Royal Tenenbaums, perfect film. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure I had one thing, one complaint, one obnoxious complaint about it, but it doesn't come to mind right now. Well, let's talk about your other pick. Let's talk about the last blockbuster. Alrighty. Last blockbuster is obviously your new movie. It's doing really well on Netflix. Uh, why should people watch The Last Blockbuster? Well, I think if you were alive during the 90s or wish you were, it'll make you remember some things that you forgot to miss. When uh, Taylor and I started making this film, we wanted to make a lighthearted documentary that really plucked the nostalgia strings. Uh, little did we know when we started how important it was going to be for people to escape their current life by tapping into nostalgia. Uh, but, you know, that's what we wanted. We were like, that's why we interviewed comedians in it. And uh, that basically I, I wrote... I wrote an outline for what I wanted the story to be. And, you know, it's a documentary, so you have a plan. And then part of the plan is be prepared to throw out the plan. Mm -hmm. But as we went along, we certainly discovered things we didn't know. Uh, but the story didn't really change. And it's the story about how one woman who wishes the whole world was her family uh, saved something that ended up being really important to people. And I think when Blockbuster, uh, by the way, that's Sandy, the manager of the last Blockbuster that I'm talking about. She's the, the main character of, of the movie. And I just, I, I didn't realize until we were finished with the film that the most important thing for me about the movie is that we forgot to miss this thing that we loved. It went away and I doubt there was more than a handful of people who cared, you know? Sure. I mean, when, when they went out of business, people were like, ha ha ha, you know? And that's fine. I get it. I'm not captain corporate by any means. If you know me, you <laughs> certainly would know that to be true. Uh, but we went to, to Blockbuster or a video store at least once a week. I think almost everyone did. I mean, maybe it was once a month if you weren't super into movies. Like, if you couldn't care less about movies, maybe you went once a month. But nobody didn't go. Um, and it was just... It, it would be like if someone... You woke up and they're like, oh, by the way, there's no grocery stores anymore. And you're like, oh, yesterday I was so annoyed to have to go to the grocery store. And today I'm hungry. And I really feel like that's what happened. People, it was so ubiquitous. It was so part of our life that it became a chore. And then it went away and we were either relieved or couldn't care less. And 
when you watch the movie, I think you'll go, I forgot how much I missed that. And hopefully it'll make you think about things you have now that you forgot to appreciate and you'll appreciate them before they're gone, which is kind of a bummer, especially the way I sa- that sounds. Uh, Cause it's really a funny movie. <laughs> it is. You got a lot of funny people in there. Kevin Smith. I mean, Doug Benson's in there, Lauren Lapkus, all kinds of good interviews. Yeah. And it really is a funny movie. Like the story is funny. It's not just like, there's a lot of really hilarious one-liners, especially from Jared, who's the the hometown movie reviewer who's in the movie. He's hilarious. We've become best friends. <laughs> um, well, I don't want to speak for him. He's one of my best friends. Hopefully he thinks the same of me. <laughs> um, and it's uh, it's funny, but it, it is also touching. It's, uh, I, I won't say it's a dark comic romance, <laughs> <laughs> but it's as close as I could get. We got to save that for the TV series. Exactly. And it, if, if I get a TV series for it, that's exactly what it's going to be. Did you work at a, a video store when you were younger? I did, yeah. I, I'm a little old to have worked at a, a Blockbuster. Um, I think by the time there were a lot of Blockbusters, I was already, I was already wor- working at uh, Hanna-Barbera. Or maybe it was Cartoon Network by then. But, um, yeah, yeah. So like before that, there just weren't a lot of them. Not, not around where I was anyway, or if there were, I didn't notice I had my favorite indie stores. And if you haven't guessed by now, I, that's, that's my jam is, is indie movies, <laughs> dark comic romance. Uh, but I did work at, uh, I think it was called tempo. It was a record store that rented videos. But yeah, go watch the last blockbuster if you haven't seen it. It's very easy to see it. It's on Netflix. You can rent it digitally. Yeah, if you don't have Netflix or you just like stream owning a digital copy, uh, it's on iTunes. We were actually in the top. I think we hit the top spot of documentaries on iTunes when we first came out on iTunes. It's on Amazon, and I strongly recommend that you buy the DVD uh, from the last blockbuster store you can get it on their website uh bendblockbuster.com you can also go to lastblockbustermovie.com and there's a link to where you can that's probably the best way because otherwise you'll get lost on on the ben blockbuster website and uh you can buy it from there it's a dvd blu-ray combo they actually are in the store they're sitting there on a shelf in the store and a kid in a blue shirt and khakis will go over with their own hands, grab it, and put it in the box. And you might, might even get a little chunk of actual Blockbuster air inside, free of charge. <laughs> that is a bonus that is included when you order directly from the store. And it came out, we put it out on VHS as well. Um, there's been two runs. For all you hipsters. Yeah, there's been two runs so far. They both sold out. First one sold out in three minutes. Second run sold out in 30 seconds. Jesus. I mean, that gives you the full experience because you got to rewind when you watch exactly. it again. Zeke, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. That was a blast. Hollywood, I'm available. Let's talk. Let's print some money. And listeners, I don't want to leave you out. Let's talk as well. If you have a good topic for the Force 5 podcast, head to force5podcast.com for the show request form. 
please take a minute to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And please follow the Force 5 podcast on Instagram and Twitter so you can tell me which other films would make great TV shows or just tell me that my ideas sucked or were awesome. I don't care. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch The Last Blockbuster, ironically, on Netflix. Force 5.